If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter number 4. Ephesians chapter number 4. It is great to see everybody here this morning. I'm always overwhelmed as we remember everything that goes into place to make a, a Sunday morning gathering happen. Uh, everything from our setup crews who faithfully come early. Go to a storage shed, just to remind everybody, go to a storage shed, pick up a trailer, haul it over here with their own vehicle. Others that meet and and set up chairs and the sound equipment. Uh, All those lovely ladies and couples that care for our children uh, back there in the nursery. Uh, Just so much. I mean, the list goes on and on and on of the body of Christ coming together uh, so that we can meet. And this, uh, this school right here is Liberty Hills Bible Church. And, and do life together as the body of Christ. And so I just want to give a collective broad umbrella thank you to everybody who's involved in that process week in and week out. It does not go unnoticed. And so thank you for your faithfulness, your, your labor of love, and, and helping us do that. Uh, I want to give a plug for David Welch. Uh, he taught in Bible class this morning. If you are not able to be a Bible class, we're in the process of literally rebuilding now a custom web- website with the help of Dave Welch, and we're hoping to be able to get a recording of our sermons and Bible classes up on the internets quickly and soon, and uh, we're, we're working at that as, as much as we can in the midst of uh, all the other important things that we're working on. Uh, but in the meantime, Dave Welch has uh, labored over a document that uh, some of you were able to get in your hands this morning. Uh, we don't have any more printed copies, but you have received it in your email, and Dave Welch is going to send it out again this afternoon. It's a four-page, uh, I say brief summary. I don't know if four pages is necessarily a brief summary, uh, but in true Dave Welch-like form, that's a summary. And so uh, please, uh, what did you say? I missed it. Yeah, it's true. There's no denying it, right? Yeah, and we get a second of that motion from his wife. So uh, it's, I wonder what those arguments look like, right? That would be interesting. Oh, okay, there we go. <laughs> That's for another time, though, during the marriage conference. We'll, we'll, we'll get into more details there. But uh, if, if you have not seen that document, please take some time to look over it. Uh, it is the collective study and thoughts and position, if you will, of Liberty Hills Bible Church and how we view New Testament leadership to be fleshed out, lived out biblically. Uh, Not necessarily pragmatically or what we've always seen or what you're comfortable with or what the rest of the American brand of Christianity is doing, but what we believe at Liberty Hills Bible Church to be best and most biblical. And so please take some time to look at that document, spend some time in that document, pray over that document. Um... Fast over that document, whatever the Lord leads you to do with that document, it will be well worth your time as it is absolutely bathed, soaked and dripping in the word of God. And it has much love, care and concern and study uh, that is represented in that document. And so it's, it's very important. I, I don't know if I can build that up any more than I just did. So I hope you're getting getting the message there to please, please look at that. Um, There's also some questions that were addressed this morning in regards to the plurality of elders. Dave Welch is going to combine that, give some answers. Hopefully I'm not speaking for you. I'm getting a nod of agreement. That's good. 
Uh, so you'll have that content. So if you miss Bible class, you'll at least get a good thrust of the heart of the message of what we covered, why we covered it. And by way of introduction, you've got your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter number four. Uh, we're going to be diving into the next section in this passage of Scripture. But before we do so, um, if you would uh, be so kind to uh, humor me with just a, uh, a brief, um, can I just call it a, a family chat intro to the intro, like a pre-intro to the introduction? Can we call it that? Is that legal? We're going to do it, okay? Uh, so Ephesians chapter number four, Dave Welch actually used these first few verses as he introed into his passage of scripture uh, last week. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, really give us the context to the why behind what we are doing. And uh, again, I, I know we've, we've potentially got some visitors. I, we're so thrilled that you all are here today with us. Um, uh, I hope that this will be so beneficial to your growth and understanding of local church and church leadership. Um, but for all of us covenant members here, I want to just remind us of the why behind what we're doing. Okay, uh, In light of our transition that we're going through, our desire was to transition well for the glory of God. And in order to do so, uh, we have to have a level of agreement unity and peace about our body around some key topics, biblical topics, in order for us to truly take a individual and a collective step forward as Liberty Hills Bible Church, it's important for us to ensure that we're all on the same page around some of these very uh, crucial, informative topics around the, uh, I guess we could call it the anatomy of the local church, not just church leadership but your individual identity within the context of the body of Christ. So if you don't mind, let's go to Ephesians 4. Let's read verses 1 through 3 once again uh, this week. And I want to make just some, some brief comments and really just focus our attention, our hearts, and our minds around, again, the why behind uh, this, this, this uh, little process of a four-week study, okay? Uh, Ephesians 4, verse number 1 says this, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord... Urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Verse 3, we're going to focus in on this verse by way of introduction. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So I want to start with the very last word of verse 3, and then we're going to kind of work backwards of verse 3 by way of introduction. So that last word is what? Peace. Okay, the last word in verse number 3 of Ephesians 4 is, is peace. And in Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament, we see this, this common theme of peace. Christ is described as the prince of Peace, right? We have uh, scriptures, even in the New Testament, say, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts richly. And this, this theme of peace in the Old Testament primarily represented what? A, a passing of a conflict. 
So two people, two nations were at odds. They were with, at enmity with each other, right? There was a conflict. They went to war. And as soon as peace came on the scene, what did that represent? A, a cessation of that conflict, a cessation of that wartime mentality. The conflict was gone. They were no longer at odds and there was peace, right? So that's obviously the kind of the obvious nuance of this word Peace, But as we look at the New Testament, and even the Old Testament, we see this nuance as well. But we also see kind of a second idea around this, this idea or this topic, this word of peace. And literally it has an idea of an agreement. An agreement. You're in agreement. And as a result, there is what? There's peace. That's what happens when you're in agreement. There is a peace. There's no conflict. There's no confusion. There's no dissension or disunity. We are all collectively, individually assured in our mind of one mind, of one focus, of one hope, of one Lord, of one baptize, one baptism. We have a single focus and we are in an agreement. We have peace. And so friends, as much as we may be uh, experiencing an outward conformity of maybe similar backgrounds and uh, similar situations. And we have similar ideas on doctrine and theology, and we could agree on a lot. This idea of what the church is, what it looks like from the leadership down, we, we, it is so crucially important that we have a peace and agreement about us. Because, friends, if we move forward, without understanding these foundational elements of the church and be in an agreement on them, friends, we're going to be uh, limited in what we can do for the glory of God. We're going to be limited and hamstringed, if you will, on really how God can use this church to make mature followers of Christ to the glory of God. If we really want to make an impact on the community that we live in, if we really believe that Jesus did die on the cross, was buried in a tomb and rose again on the third day, defeating sin, death, and health. We believe that message is really worth sharing. We need to get the church right. So it's important that we under, not just understand something that we've been taught before and, oh, can't we just move on from this? Can't we just go forward? Well, friends, we can't go forward unless we have this collective nod of not just uh, intellectual consent on a topic, Rather, a belief, a trust, a faith in what God's word says about the local church. And so the question is, why change? Why do we as Liberty Hills Bible Church think that we need to do something differently than what's out there in mainstream American brand of Christianity? Well, the question is, if anytime you're evaluating whether a change needs to be made or not, you have to look at the product that it's producing to determine if a change needs to be made. If it's accomplishing what it's supposed to accomplish, if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, if it's not broke, don't what? Fix it. But the question we have to honestly ask ourselves is how the church is being done and is the product that the American brand of Christianity is producing, is it working? Are we doing what we're supposed to be doing? Is the church accomplishing the mission that Christ gave it to accomplish? I think the resounding answer to that question is no, it's not. And we're not in a situation where if it's not broke, don't fix it. We're in a situation where 
There needs to be urgency and intentionality. The times are short and there's too much at stake for us not to take as seriously as we possibly can this thing that we call church, the body of Christ. Why? Because it has value. We're not just four walls in a steeple. I'm thankful that we've never battled with that here. <laughs> right? We, we meet in an elementary school, in a cafeteria, right? And, and we know that the church isn't a building. We know that we, as the, the hands and feet of Christ right here, the people, brothers and sisters in Christ united together, we are the church. But I wonder, how much are we really living that out? And how much of the status quo of this American brand of Christianity is impacting how we think, how we talk, how we relate to each other, and as a result, the impact that the church is really making for the glory of God or the lack thereof, right? And so we have to be willing to do some hard things. We've got to be willing to, as the disciples of Christ day had to stream, swim upstream against the religious elites of their day, we too have to challenge the status quo of what's going on and saying, God, does it please you? Does it honor you? And is it accomplishing what you want it to accomplish? And is the product that we have in our hands, is it working? Friend, just think about it, right? Ask yourself that question. Is it working? The statistics tell us that how we are doing church in America is not working. Friends, the latest statistics show that 88 to 90 percent of young people, once they graduate high school, will never darken the doors of a church ever again. That's real. Those are real statistics from the Barna Group, Lifeway Research. All the experts in church leadership and research are telling us a whole generation is being lost out of the church as a result of us not getting church right. There's too much at stake. A whole generation, our sons, our daughters, our grandchildren are being lost because of, friends, our failure to really be the church. Instead of relying on some system where we come and are comfortable, we have a cafeteria plan, we just plug in, we, we, we consume a program, we consume something in the church, we punch our card and we come back and do it all over again the next week. This is not God's plan for the church He's not looking for attenders. He's looking for Christ followers who understand their identity in Jesus Christ and are willing to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow Jesus. This lukewarm, complacent, status quo idea of Christianity, friends, we've got to start getting dissatisfied with it really quick because the times are short. And the days are evil. And friends, we have got to get this right. And so there is no waste of time. We could spend months on this topic of getting the church right. And it would be time well spent. Why? Because we're talking about the bride of Christ. We're talking about His church. That Jesus Christ came and shed His blood. That God the Father gave His Son for. That Jesus Christ someday will present back to the Father spotless and blameless for God. I don't know about you, but friends, I want to be a part of the catalyst to bring the church back to a spotless and blameless state. Friends, we are not here as leadership to browbeat us as a church and talk about everything that we've gotten wrong, but what we do want to focus on is God's will, God's plan that we see clearly outlined in Scripture And friends, at Liberty Hills Bible Church, we do believe that this is the only rule for faith and practice. And if what we're doing doesn't match with Scripture, guess what? It's gone. 
And if we're not doing something that Scripture says we need to do, guess what we're going to do? We're going to add it. Because we believe this is our only hope, our only foundation. This is the inspired and errant Word of God. Do you believe that this morning? Then it's worthy. It's a worthy time. It is well worth our time to labor over this idea, Father, what is your church? What is your desire, your plan for your church? And Father, help me to see it. And help me not just to see it, but help me to live it. And to be this church that you sent your son to die for. And friends, this is the heart of God in relation to his, his church. It's so the foundation that Pastor Dave laid for us in regards to leadership and the gift and the direction and the body being fitly joined together to build itself up in love. Friends, we need that. I need that. My wife needs that. My family needs that. My kids need that. Not just from my wife and I, but from you. This is what a culture of discipleship looks like if we've labored through Colossians 1 and we've desired to, to elevate a high premium of God's Word to not just be attenders or go through the motions of church, but friends, for us to get it. That God wants so much from me and so much from you as a follower. And we cannot, friends, we cannot settle for less, anything less than God's best. So friends, that's why we're taking a pause And we're just asking the Lord collectively as leaders, and I hope collectively as the whole body of Christ here this morning, I hope you're joining us in this pursuit to get it right. And friends, if you're not on that yet, if you're not on that wagon, we invite you to come along with us. Our prayer is that you would no longer sit on the sidelines, be unconvinced in your mind, but you would look at the clear words of Scripture and be led by the gifts that God has given his church as elders desiring friends to understand that we desire God's best for his church. Turn over to Hebrews 13, just real quick. I shared this passage um, in our life group just by way of uh, communicating, bringing everybody up to speed as I know other life groups had, had done as well. And uh, this is a hard passage for any uh, pastor to preach, but I want to focus, I want to read verse 17, but I want to focus on 18. So Hebrews 13, verse 17 says this, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your what? Your souls. We're not just having a get together. We're not just having a little social time, having a little party on the sideline here at Liberty Hills Bible Church. No friends, we are watching over souls. There's, a, there's an eternity in perspective here in Hebrews 13. So it goes on and says, uh, watch it for your souls as those who will have to give an account. Dave Welch this morning talked about the weight, the responsibility. Friends, we understand that as elders, we are equal in authority, responsibility, and role. Authority, responsibility, and role. And the fact that someday all four of us are going to stand before God Almighty someday and give an account for how we steward this opportunity, these years, these times with relationships and people individually and corporately together as the body of Christ. Someday we're going to give an account. And if there's anything that keeps me up at night, it is that reality. It is a sobering reality, the fact that there is something eternal in perspective here. There are souls, there are families, there are marriages, there are kids. Let's raise the bar. Let's raise the bar, friends. There is too much at stake, and someday 
We're going to give an account and let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Verse 18, friends, please partner with us. We invite you into this pursuit. The author of Hebrews says this. He says, pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. And friends, I just want to communicate collectively as a group of elders that that is our desire. To have a clear conscience before God Almighty and before our fellow peers as covenant members. To have a clear conscience not only in the choices that we make, not only in how we make them, but in how we steward these times. To have a clear conscience. And it goes on and says, what? Desiring to act honorably in all things. That's our desire. That's our prayer. Again, I would, I would welcome and covet the prayers on the behalf of the elders to live out Hebrews chapter 13, verse 18 on our behalf. Will you partner with us in that prayer? Will you labor with us in that prayer? We, we desperately need it. We, we have no wisdom in and of ourselves. We have no uh, uh, convenient fad manual to follow to say this is what we need to do other than Scripture. And it's not real popular these days. But we're, we're trying to be that old-time faith, old-time disciple, a Christ follower. Nothing fancy, nothing shiny, just obeying God and being a church that He's called us to be. And so, friends, this is our heart. That's our heart. And so, by the way of that introduction, let's go to Ephesians chapter number 4 back there. And just to make one final comment. So we've got peace, and then we move backwards to unity. So as we're in agreement, that agreement allows for what us to be able to experience as product of, of unity. Right? And we're not talking about, again, conformity around man's ways of doing a certain thing, whether it be church or otherwise, but rather, we are unified in mission, in spirit, and in life. There's a togetherness about us. We are on point. We are stride in stride. And as a result of being eager, I want to stir up some eagerness in all of us this morning. Be eager to pursue unity. Be eager to pursue this, this bond of, of peace that the Holy Spirit can give us. Right Earlier in Hebrews, he gives us this admonition to not neglect the meeting together, as is the habit of some, but all the more as you see the day drawing near. And what's produced when we get together? There's a stirring up of love and good works. There's this kind of agitation, this spiritual agitation or catalyst that's introduced to our midst and our families and our marriages and our, our parenting and our discipling of each other uh, that happens when we're together. And so we're praying uh, to God, how, how would you have us to flesh out this idea of togetherness more and more in the days. And so be in prayer about these, about these things. Uh, they're way heavy and they're important. And friends, we hope that you would labor with us. And so the result, the product, is that once individually we're eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, what does that look like? What's the product of individuals coming together for that purpose? Well, Philippians chapter One tells us in verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you, get this, that you are standing firm in one spirit and one mind, striving side by side 
for the faith of the gospel. Friends, I know we're in varying degrees of understanding and even maturity around these topics of New Testament church leadership and what the church is and how we fit into that. And that's okay. That's beautiful. That's discipleship. That's exactly what we're talking about, maturing disciples or followers of Christ to the glory of God. But what we don't want is we don't want uh, people lagging behind because of an unwillingness to understand the clear words of Scripture. And so we just want to give you Scripture. We just want to give you Bible so that we can bring everybody. Get the visual here. We want to give everybody on the same plane, the same line, and then we're going to link some arms together, right? And then we can strive. Then we can strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. It's then that we can really stand firm in one faith and one hope and one spirit. Have the mind of Christ. We've got to understand his heart for the local church. And so our prayer is that as you pray Hebrews 13, verse number 18, as we understand this anatomy of the local church, what leadership is, who we are as individuals, how we fit together for the glory of God, that you would come along with us on this journey. We invite you. We pray that you'll be a part of it. And we're so excited about what God is doing in and through his church today, right now. Friends, there's, there's some uncertainty, sure. David talked about some questions. Are we going to replace an elder? Who Are we going to pay him? Are we going to have a full-time guy? The questions that need to be answered are being worked through. And in God's timing, guess what? We're going to have conclusions and answers within unity, within the context of biblical eldership, and it's going to be best. And it's going to be in his time. And he's going to get the most glory because we're doing things his way. But let's not look past this opportunity. Let's not look past this opportunity that we have in front of us to ask some good, healthy, biblical questions about what the church is and how we can best go forward together collectively as the body of Christ. And so, all right, that's end of intro. Ephesians chapter 4, let's go um, verse number 17. Ephesians 4, verse number 17, and again, uh, we, we remember what has been taught, what has been taught by Dave Welch, and we're thankful for that. And I'm going to read verse 16 as kind of a launching point into this passage that really has uh, an individual focus in mind of how this fleshes itself out uh, in the body of Christ. So verse 16 of chapter 4 says this, From whom the whole body... Joined and held together by each, by, excuse me, by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body what? Grow, so that it builds itself up in love. Let's read verses 17 through 24, and then we'll open in a word of prayer. Verse 17 through 24. Now this I say, and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. Verse 19, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Verse 22. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt 
through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Let's pray. Father, we come to you as beggars desperately needing your provision on account of our, our souls. Father, we come needy before the throne of grace, emptying ourselves of all wisdom and understanding that would be in our own flesh. And we echo the, the prayer of, of Paul in Philippians 3, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings be made conformable to his death. Father, we want to know Christ. We want to see Christ. We desire to experience Christ. And ultimately, Father, we desire to live out Christ as the body of Christ in this world that you have placed us right here in the Northland of of Kansas City. And so, Father, I pray that you would do a work that I cannot do, that you would do a work that any elder or leadership of deacons cannot do. But, Father, we need your spirit to come and stir up our cold hearts. Father, we need the hammer of your word to break apart the hardness, the prejudices, the presuppositions, the things that we impose on the church and on Scripture. Father, take all of that away this morning and let us just look with fresh eyes. Let us hear with fresh ears. And Father, let us experience with new desirous hearts to simply know what you have to say about your church. And Father, that is our prayer, that is our our passion, that is our desire. And, And Father, we trust you to take the seed of your word and to plant it in the hearts and that you would allow fruit to grow that would remain in the days ahead in regards to the church that you love so desperately and that you have such high expectations and high standards for and such a great mission to accomplish. Father, I'm reminded even of John 15, for without me, you said, you can do nothing. Father, I have nothing to offer We just desire to be a vessel, to be used in the master's hand, ready for every good work. Father, now move in our midst. We ask all these things in your Amen. So here we have in Ephesians chapter number four, a transition in Paul's conversation in regards to the church. He goes from a corporate, a broad body perspective, also has some individual nuances, but now he really dives into the deep end of the individual responsibility of each part that is fitly joined together. So he goes down from a corporate body down to the individual perspective here. And he opens up in verse number 17, he opens up with this, uh, with this very strong admonition. Right? You see in verse 17, he says, well, look at the language that he uses. He says, on the basis of what I just said, now this I say. Right? Do you see how Paul is, is building upon his case of what the church is, who the church is, how he has gifted the church? He's raising the bar, if you will, on this topic of the local church. And he's transitioning now to this individual level. And he's saying, now this I say. And he goes on the next phrase and testify in the Lord. He bases his words, his authority, his message, not in his own strength or his own wisdom, but on the basis of being from the the Lord. Right. So this is the stage that Paul sets our passage in 
in the next few verses. And I, I don't want to look past that because Paul is desiring for his readers of this letter at the church of Ephesus for the ears to perk up. Right, We're in chapter 4. The letter's starting to get a little long. They've gone through some, some pretty heavy doctrine. And he's saying, all right, everybody listen up. I urge you. Right? Listen up. And he says, and I testify in the Lord. And then he gives us some teaching that's very, very important. He challenges our thinking. He challenges our minds. He challenges our understanding and ultimately our hearts. In verses 17 and 18. And he gives the basis or the examples of the Gentiles. He says this in that third phrase of chapter chapter 4, verse 17, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. You see, Paul warns that there is a danger in walking and thinking and living as an unbeliever. Paul warns. He's giving a strong admonition. He's asking them to listen up afresh and anew to the message that we've got. He says there's, there's danger in walking and thinking and living as an unbeliever. He goes on and he describes why there is danger. He gives this very detailed description of the Gentiles. He goes on and says that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the first futility of their minds. Verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding. Secondly, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. Paul addresses their minds, their understanding, and their hearts. All of these things are connected, right? We don't need to try to find some different nuance or or description of each one that would be different. Paul has the same focus in mind, right? The understanding, the mind and the heart of a person represent who they are as a whole. And so we understand what we allow to come in through our ear gate and from our eye gate impacts our mind. And what's in our mind will impact our heart. And we know that out of the issues of the heart come our words and our what? Our actions. So this is a this is a, a cyclical process that Paul is reminding them that they are literally lost in every way they're being, their hearts, their minds, their understandings. They are all futile. They are darkened. They are alienated from a life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. And there's a hardness of heart. And friends, I don't know about you, but it's when you truly understand the gospel, there becomes this internal struggle that is represented, right? And Paul talks about that struggle in Romans 6, 7, and 8, right? He says, the good that I know I should be doing, I don't do, and the wrong that I know I shouldn't be doing, that's what I fell, find myself doing. Then he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And then he goes on and says, I thank Jesus Christ, right? And he knows that only in Jesus Christ there is deliverance from this struggle. But friends, when we, when we know Christ, when we've responded to this call of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's really at that first time that we feel this, this struggle, this war, this spiritual warfare that starts to battle. But friends, he goes on and says, um, verse 19, they have become what callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. 
So he goes on to give them even a greater description of how their minds and their understanding and their hearts, how that impacts their actions and how that fleshes itself out. But fast forwarding up to this, Paul uses an interesting nuance of why he's even challenged them in regards to their actions about the Gentiles. He says this, you must no longer walk. I don't know all the details surrounding why Paul had to address this specific thing with the readers at the church at Ephesus, but there must have been some type of understanding or observation or word or reputation that was going on that the believers at Ephesus were allowing what worldly influences to come and impact how they were um, living out their Christian faith. Let's turn over to Matthew chapter number 7. I want to give just some words of Christ, okay? Some words of Christ that address the importance of not allowing the mindset, the understanding, and the heart of an unbeliever to find its way back in through a crack of our heart uh, because it absolutely can do incredible damage for our sanctification and growth in the Lord. Matthew 7, verse number 15 says this. Christ says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are what? Ravenous wolves. Right? And in Christ's time, influence and communication was primarily done through what? Audible communication. It was verbally passed down, right? They didn't have, obviously, maybe news outlets, we didn't have smartphones, we didn't have all this other forms of communication that influence our way of thinking. So to contextualize this passage, even up to our modern day, I would broaden this warning that Christ had specific to false prophets, and I would even say, beware of false influences, right, that are going to come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, They are what? Ravenous wolves. Yeah, it might be false teaching. It might be somebody behind a pulpit or even the false teachers of our day and other ministries that are popular, kind of this uh, rock star uh, persona of the pastor of our day that has these large followings and the mega church mentality. Um, there, There may be some challenges there and some danger there, and there is, and we need to be aware of those. And As elders, we need to be aware of those and make sure we're guarding and protecting our people and our church. But at an individual level, friends, I want to challenge us, as Paul challenged his readers here at the church of Ephesus, at an individual level level to consider their way, to no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. Right? And he said, you do that through what? through your minds and through your understanding and through your hearts. And that fleshes itself out through your actions. And so, friends, ask yourself the question, what is influencing my mind? What is influencing my understanding of Scripture and life and choices that I make? What am I allowing to impact my heart? What are those those things that are present in our day, whether it's a person, a relationship, choices, how I spend my time? What is it that, that, are, that we're allowing, that we're playing footsies with the world, so to speak, and we're allowing these ravenous wolves in sheep's clothing to just kind of hang around? Because it's going to end badly. It's going to have devastating effects, not only on your own life, but we know our personal choices have a ripple effect to those around us. In your home, it will affect your 
marriage. It will affect mom and dad, your parenting. It will affect not just your parenting, but your children. And the list goes on and on and on as the ripple effect of our choices make an impact. And so that's why Paul has this high level of urgency in Ephesians chapter 4, because he knows what's really at stake. When we play with fire, use the analogy of Proverbs, we're always going to get what? We're going to get burned. And so why play around with that? Why allow these, these influences of this Gentile, literally this idea is a pagan, unconverted, unbelieving mindset to come back into my life and impact my mind, my heart, and my understanding? Paul is placing a high premium in our urgency and intentionality to battle against that, to put that old self, what? Off. And this literally has the idea of Paul's analogy, has the idea of clothing. <laughs> and I, I love having Little kids are uh, a good source of comedic relief uh, for most of the day, right? And I'm thinking of just my little guy there, Grayson. He's, what, two and a half, almost three in September. And he's got this, you know, picking his clothes out thing down, right? And uh, he loves to dress himself. If I even act like I'm going to help him put a shirt on, he's like, Dad, Dad, I'm going to do it myself. I got it, Right? And uh, he, I want to do it myself. I want to do it myself. He's just a little independent guy. He takes after his mom. And, uh, and, so, and so we've got this little guy, and we say, Grayson, it's time to get out of those pajamas and put on some clothes. And he's all excited. And he goes back to his drawers, and everything comes out, right? Because he wants to pick out just that one shirt that he has in mind. It's like that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle shirt with those Batman shorts, right, of course, And so here he comes out all proud of himself that he put his outfit together and he dressed himself. But we know from mom and dad's perspective, what he put on doesn't always make sense when we need to go outside of the home. And people actually have to observe what we allow our kids to wear. And so we know that "Ah, that's a good job, buddy. It's a good effort. But why don't you go put this on? Why don't, here, here's the shirt that you need to put on. I'll let you put it on, but I'm going to pick it out for you. Here's, put on this shirt and put on these shorts and put on these shoes. It's July. You don't wear your mud boots, right? We need to wear flip-flops or just normal tennis shoes, right? So, so there's this, there's some direction that has to happen in regards to telling my little guy there what to put on and what to wear so that it is appropriate. And so that it makes sense and so that he can interact in society without look, be looking down upon, right? And so there's some direction there. And that's exactly what Paul is doing here, right? He's kind of coming alongside him and he says, look, buddy, you can't, you can't wear that outside. You can't, you can't do that. It doesn't match. It clashes. It's not washed. It's dirty. It smells horrible. In fact, you had an accident in it last night. Get that off. Right? To go a step further with the illustration. Sorry, maybe a little crude. But that's what Paul is doing. He's coming alongside his readers and he's saying, look, you're in the church. That's great. You're reading this letter. Yes! You're trying to dress yourself. Good effort. But put this off that you just put on. And how about we put this shirt on? How about we put these pants on? Right? And take it to the spiritual level. Paul is just taking that to the spiritual level. He's saying, guys, Don't put that on. That has no value to you. That's no benefit to you. 
doesn't make sense to put your pajamas on in the middle of the day. Don't do that. You see Paul kind of coming alongside and helping them. What is Paul doing? He's, he's discipling. He's taking this existing relationship with his church at Ephesus to these believers, these brothers and sisters, and he's coming alongside and he's teaching them. He's saying, look, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing of this being present in your life. I'm seeing this present in your life. Or I've heard others report back to me that, that we're putting on the things of the Gentiles in our mind and understanding in our hearts. Friends, let's remember Paul calls those things out and he's exposing what those things really are, what their nature is. It's not something to play with. I don't know about you, but futility of mind is not something that I want to describe me as an individual. Having my, my understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of ignorance in me. And I don't want my life to be described as a hardness of heart. And so Paul is, is going through this process of exposing this unconverted, pagan, Gentile, unbelieving mindset. Don't have anything to do with it. Put it off. Because it has no value to you and your growth, your sanctification, your walk with the Lord. So it goes on in verse number 19. As a result of them being influenced by these Gentile mindset and understanding and heart, the product is that they have become callous. Friends, when we dress inappropriately spiritually, when we put on the wrong things in our life, it's going to have an effect. We become callous. We become callous. Go back to my illustration. It's almost like, you know what? If I dress socially inappropriately, if I allow my son to go out and his Batman and Ninja Turtle jammies all hours of the day, and I, in fact, that's what I pick out for him every single day, and he just puts that on, he just expects to what? That's what you wear. So as he gets older, what's he going to pick out? Since Turtle Batman Ensemble, maybe some new sizes, hopefully, right? But yet he's still got his Ninja Turtles and his Batmans, and he's running them together. Shouldn't happen. Doesn't make sense. Completely socially inappropriate for to go out with that type of state. But guess what? He becomes callous to the reality of this because it becomes a pattern of this young guy's life. And nobody came alongside of him and instructed him, Hey, buddy, little guy, I love you. Let's not wear that. I'm not mad. I'm not angry. It's just, it's not what we do. It's not what we wear. That's not how we act. That's not what a relationship, hopefully, with the Stanley family represents is Ninja Turtle and Batman pajamas in the middle of the day, right? And so ultimately, spiritually, Paul is urging them. He's raising an awareness and he's exposing that, hey, you, st- you start playing with the Gentile mind, heart, and understanding. You're in danger of becoming callous. Becoming calloused. What is a callous? Right? You work over and over and over with your hands and you grip in the same spot and you work hard. Your skin becomes tough. It kind of loses some of its uh, nerves and sensitivity and it builds up a callous. It loses literally the sensitivity is what it has the idea of. So friends, what happens when we allow these false influencers of our day, this this uh, Gentile mindset, the mindset of, if we could just lump it in and call it the world, our flesh, 
and spiritual warfare with the devil, if we allow these things to come in and, and these Gentile mindsets to take place and take root in our life, we, we run the risk of becoming desensitized, literally, to the influencers. And that callousness will produce something else as well. And have given themselves up to what? Sensuality. Living for our flesh at its base definition. Concerning only about my literal desires. I see it. I want it. I take it. If it feels good, if it feels good, do it. These types of just impulse reactionary responses of the Gentile worldly fleshly mindset will become, will become callous to him. And we pursue him greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That, that's an incredibly specific description. Not only will we practice every kind of impurity. What's that word before that phrase? What's that word before that phrase? Greedy. You see, friends, if we allow this Gentile mindset, if we allow our pre-Christian mindset to rule and reign in our life, not only do we practice every kind of impurity, not only are we given up to sensuality, but we become greedy to pursue these things. It's not like we're just passively falling in line of these well-worn paths and, oh, I just fell into sin. I don't know how it happened. But if we allow our mind to be impacted by this way of thinking, we will pursue it. We will look for every waking opportunity to pursue sensuality and practices of every kind of impurity. And friends, sometimes it seems very hard to even fathom us waxing worse and worse with that type of mindset. But have you not seen it? Do we not all know some type of relationship or, or story or situation or a life that we've observed where this process has taken place? Where they didn't take heed to the warning of Scripture. They didn't take, take heed to a Galatians 6, 1 and 2, brother or sister, and they allowed themselves to continually pursue this pre-Christian mindset, this pagan Gentile mindset that impacted their minds and their understanding and their heart. And their heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And as a result of this, the product that was produced, they became calloused to the fact that they have put on clothing that is completely inappropriate. They become desensitized to the ridiculousness of the ensemble. That it doesn't make sense. And they become calloused. Paul is urging us. He says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles. And friends, what does this mean for us in context of the local church? In context of of God giving the church gifts to be deployed and acknowledged and used for the glory of God. What does it look like for us as individuals to be fitly joined together to build each other up in love? It means that we have an individual responsibility. We have an individual responsibility that results in the good of the whole. Right? We have an individual responsibility that results... Man, I can't spit that word out today. We have an individual responsibility that results in the good of the whole. Do we see that? Do we see how it's important for us to take ownership of our own faith, 
of our own relationship with the Lord. But in the context of the local church, we know that we are to do that together. And so as Eric Hubbard is taking ownership and as I'm taking ownership as the other Eric, and together as Eric's, we are engaging each other's life for the glory of God. He's helping me and I'm helping him. And there's an iron sharpening iron type of concept where we are together putting off and no longer walking as the Gentiles. And friends, it culminates in verse 20. This is the climax of our passage. As, as Paul raises the urgency, and I'm sure he raises his volume in his letter, if you can raise volume in a letter. Verse 20, here it is. He says this, but this is not the way you learned Christ. But this is not the way you learned Christ. And it's assuming that something has been what? Already learned. There has been something that has already been taught. And as a result of it being taught, you have learned something. You have put on some initial growth. You have put on some initial Christ-likeness. You have put on the fruit of the Spirit. You are abiding in the vine, John 15. But then, for whatever reason, a sin and influence and temptation that I gave into, I've allowed myself to go back and walk in my pre-Christian mindset. And the futility of my mind and the darkness of my understanding. I've allowed myself to be alienated from the life of God because of the presence of sin. That fellowship is broken. The ignorance has taken over and my heart has become hard and callous. And as a result, I've pursued sensuality. I've been greedy to pursue every practice of impurity. And Paul climaxes, culminates the conversation. He says, but that is not the way you have learned Christ. He says, you know better, readers, brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. There's too much at stake in relationship to allow ourselves to settle for less than God's best in Christian living for our life. And verse 20 culminates, and it's like me talking to my son as he comes out of his room. I'm sure all just ready to go, right? And he's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Batman. I said, you know better, buddy. It's 1 p.m. and you can't wear your jammies outside. Let's, let's go change. Verse 21 says this, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him. So Paul says, you know better. This is not the way you learned Christ. Verse 21, he gives a little context of that statement. He says, it's assuming that you have heard about him, Christ, and were taught in him, Christ, because as the truth is in who? Jesus Christ. See how important Christ is to our walk? See how important Christ is to the, the changing and renewal of our mind as we understand that he must increase but I must decrease. As Paul went to Peter and James and he said, follow me. And what did they immediately do? They dropped their, they were what? And they dropped their nets and they followed him, right? There was this radical abandonment in their life. And these men understood when they saw Jesus, when they saw the Messiah that had been prophesied from old, when they saw Jesus that first time and he said, follow me, their response was, dropping everything I'm doing, radically abandon the past, and I'm going forward with Jesus Christ. That's why Christ said, if any man comes after me, you must follow their example, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Have you experienced this radical abandonment of your way of thinking, your understanding in your heart that was pre-Christ? 
that was rooted in yourself, your desires, your ambitions. Because when we see Christ, that's what happens. Or better yet, when Christ reveals himself to us, that is the only response that can happen. Radical abandonment. And if it's anything less than radical abandonment, we're just following the crowds. And ultimately, the crowds did what? They dispersed. It fell away. Because narrow is this road. But, he says, come to me. My yoke is what? My yoke is easy. My burden is, is light. The provision that Christ gives us in this process of maturity, this process of sanctification, this process of putting off the clothing of our old self and putting on Christ's likeness cannot happen in our own strength. It only happens through Christ. Paul is understanding and he reminds us that this process is happens as we hear about Christ, as we are taught about Christ, and as we understand that truth is only in Jesus Christ. There's a singularity to the truth and the focus in the person of Jesus Christ in the process of our sanctification. Paul understands the role. He understands the person and work of Jesus and how it's only in the life of Jesus, that we have this radical change. And so verse 22, he says this, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is what? Corrupt in nature through deceitful desires. Verse 23, here's the process by which we deploy this putting off of the old self and putting on of the new self. He says this, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Friends, what does it mean to be renewed? What does this word have the idea of? It literally has the, the nuance of a cleansing, of a washing with water. There's a renewal that happens in our mind when we meet Jesus. He changes our way of thinking, he changes our understanding, and he changes our heart to use those three things in the beginning of our passage. You see, Jesus radically makes a change in our life. And it's through that renewal process of Jesus hearing and being taught and understanding that truth is in Jesus that I put off the old self and I have the opportunity to put on the new self through Jesus Christ. I'm renewed in the spirit of your Minds. Do you see the role and the importance of our minds? In verse 24, to finish it out, he says, and put on. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Just as Paul described the nature of the old man in verses 18 and 19, he gives us the nature of this new man. It is created after the likeness of God. Do we remember who God is in 1 Peter? As we went through that passage, he says, Be holy. Why? Because I am holy. Paul is placing, placing a high premium on Christian living that results in holiness and godly character and righteousness. See, friends, to be in relationship with Christ is to be in relationship with God. And God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are righteousness, holiness, and truth personified. And so to have a relationship with us, we have to be in that nature as well. And so, friends, I wonder if we are. At the individual level, are we committing ourselves 
to put off the old man and to put on the new man in Christ Jesus. And again, to wrap up in the context of the local church, friends, this has an incredible benefit, not only for our own individual maturity, growth, and sanctification, which is what Paul has in mind, but he has a corporate and collective whole in mind as well, as he understands that if we're committed at an individual level, this will produce something very beautiful and good for the whole of the body of Christ. And so when I truly understand what the church is, his bride, and I truly understand that being a church isn't part of four walls and a steeple, but rather it's my life. I understand that this idea of the church being presented to God without spot or blemish isn't just about some corporate entity, but it's about, it's about me. And so again, I'm going to place a high premium as Christ did as well on holiness, righteousness, and godly living. And so friends, I wonder this morning as we have looked at the words of Scripture as we've considered what Paul's challenge was to the church at Ephesus and as a result, what the challenge is to us as believers within Liberty Hills Bible Church. I wonder, are we leaving some on the table in regards to how we're taking ownership by the grace of God of our own faith, our own relationship? Are we seeing the opportunity, though, in the context of a culture of discipleship to come alongside and stir each other up towards love and good works, to be that iron sharpening iron type of relationship and to be our brother's keeper in this life? Are we seeing opportunity to engage in that level of, of, of togetherness and community and relationship with us here today? And so, friends, that's our prayer. That's our understanding as we continue to work out this look, this glimpse, this anatomy of the local church. We've looked at leadership looked at God's plan of deploying gifts. We've seen that all of us have a part and a role as being fitly joined together to stir each other up to love and good works. Now we see the role and importance of every day, boots on the street, godly living for the glory of God. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. I pray that if there's somebody here this morning, Father, who may still yet be um, sitting on the fence, so to speak, in their relationship with you, uh, maybe more concerned about just ancillary, um, peripheral things and is not losing sight of everyday living to the glory of God. Father, I pray that you would help us to get back to the simplicity of the Christian life. I love how Paul just gives us this Vince Lombardi's speech of this is a football, just getting back to the basics of Christian living and understand the impact that it can make for your church, for your glory, and for the good of each other is just incredible, Father. We pray uh, just a special prayer for direct direction and wisdom as we just seek your will as a church that you would just give us clarity, understanding, boldness, courage, maybe to do the hard things. Uh, that we need to be for your glory. Help us this week even to not lose an opportunity or squander an opportunity to engage in each other's lives. But let us live out this passage even today, tomorrow, this next week, that we would not just be a hearer of the word, but we would be a doer also, not deceiving ourselves. And so, Father, we pray to that end. It's your precious name we pray. Amen.